because the approaching Sabbath prevented the women who'd been there to watch Jesus' body taken off the cross and wrapped in a simple linen sheet to be placed on a pallet for carrying all the way to the new tomb offered by Joseph of Arimathea, from doing all that was right and fitting for the dear body of their beloved master. So they planned to return the morning after the Sabbath, on the day we call Sunday, to wrap the body after the common practice with interwoven strips of linen binding it, inserting a more solid fold of cloth under the chin to keep the chin from falling over the chest in a way disrespectful of the dead and to close the eyes. And when all that had been lovingly accomplished, to slather the linen bindings generously with spices and various time-honored unguents to give the corpse a sweet-smelling scent and perhaps aid in its general uh, decomposition. Once that was finished, the body would lie there in the darkness of the tomb for maybe a year or so, when perhaps the same women would return to extract the bones that remained, wash them tenderly with liquid scented with spice, and then place them in an ossuary or a bone box. We can be relatively certain of the funeral practices of the Jews at the time of Jesus, thanks to extensive archaeological research, and the accounts in the Gospels have proven remarkably accurate. So early on the first day of the week, as the Gospel of John relates it, Mary of Magdala got up early and made her way beyond the city walls of Jerusalem to the region of the tombs. Any tourist who visits this area beyond the city wall nowadays can tell you that it isn't easy to find your way along the twisted paths beside the rocky terrain. One tomb looks like another except for those which are quite extravagant in their decoration. And no doubt, Mary took a wrong turn or two before she made her way to the tomb. While she'd remembered to bring the additional strips of linen the women were planning to finish wrapping Jesus' body in, and the decoctions of spices and ointments, she'd forgotten to reckon with one important thing, which she remembered long after she left home. She called to mind that a stone had been rolled over the door to the tomb. It would have been a hard task for half a dozen disciples to push it back, and quite impossible for one woman. Turning a corner in the path, she saw the gaping opening of the tomb with a stone unaccountably rolled away. If she felt momentary relief that the stone was no longer a problem, she was filled with confusion and fear, wondering who might have committed such a desecration and why. Everybody'd heard of grave robbers, 
but they were interested in tombs with, of rich people, hoping that ornaments had been buried with the body. Had those who'd killed Jesus returned to visit more harm to his body to add insult to injury? She approached the entrance to the tomb. There was the familiar scent of the perfumes they'd placed on Jesus' body coming from the entrance along with the cool air inside. It took her time in the darkness to adjust to the layout of the tomb, even though she'd been there only two days before. She was grieving, after all. Bending down to peer into the tomb, she saw no body. She knew where they'd lain Jesus. And the questions, why, what, where, formed in Mary's mind, and she felt a knot of terror in her stomach. My sisters and brothers of the resurrection, this empty tomb, the confusion and fear this first Easter engendered isn't our Easter. Nor is it only beautiful Easter mornings, white lilies and eggs hidden everywhere that I'm thinking of. Our Easter isn't filled with uncertainty, a world upside down the way it was for Mary of Magdala and the other women but it does require our thought. What does it mean to us, this first Easter, this Easter, any Easter? Is our Easter what Lazarus experienced when Jesus brought him back from the dead to the same world he left, perhaps without regret? Lazarus gave us no account of what it was like where he was. But we do know from people who've had near-death experiences how much they regret being brought back into our world. They'd rather stay where they were. I'm not talking now about what the resurrection might be for us after we die. I'm thinking about the signs of this life while we are living. And it begins with our baptism. The way the Apostle Paul explains baptism is to say that in the waters of baptism, we are baptized into Christ's death. We die with him. We are buried with him. From that point on, then, the old life is done with. That life we are accustomed to think is life. No, it has been buried, we are washed clean of it, so that when, from then on, we can begin to live the life that Christ offers us through the resurrection. Unfortunately, though, if we carry on our lives as if we weren't baptized, although we are, we'll miss signs of this new life starting to grow green in us. And I say, why live the new life as if it were nothing different from the old one? Most people are glad to change from clothes that are ragged, stained, damaged, the wrong size, 
for new clothes that are fit and fitting? What then may be signs of our new life? What are we looking for? I'll start with hope. Now, most people have hope to some degree, but if we think about the hope that grows in us, it's a hope that takes its origin and strength from being anchored in God. It's God's hope that we experience when we have hope. I think of a sense of justice. It comes from the knowing that our idea of justice is God's justice. Many people have a sense of justice to guide them, although it might well be restricted to people who are just like them. But because God's justice knows no limits, neither does ours. And we're led to seek out those whose lives have been stunted or wrecked by injustice, wherever they may be and whoever they are, because we have God's fearlessness in going where we thought we hadn't needed to go, and armed with a hope that knows no limit. Gifts God gives us in this resurrected life. And we live in a great family of those whose faith is ours, our ancestors in the faith, our family tree, whose witness, whose writings, whose deeds give inspiration, courage, and delight, and remind us how we stand among a great cloud of witnesses. I could go on to talk of the joy inexpressible that fills us, how life seems to flow from Sabbath rest to Sabbath rest, and the endless insights wrapped up in the mysteries of our life in Christ, which are, which are ours to discover. I'll say one thing more, though. We can understand and make meaning of those times when tragedy touches us, when bad things happen, when sadness makes our hearts break, because we are part of Christ, we are his body. And thanks to his sufferings, we can bear our own and find meaning in them. After all, even in his resurrected body, Christ still bears on him the wounds of his passion. Suffering is one area, I think, where the separation between those who know Christ and those who don't is most stark. We are able to drink whatever bitter cup is offered us, because Christ drank his to the dregs first. Perhaps there's no other greater identification we can make with Christ than we do when we're enduring suffering. Now, most people think that the life of the resurrection begins after we've died. But remember, we've already died in our baptism. What heaven will be like, we're already starting to experience now in this life. For as one of our ancestors in the faith, the poet John Donne, also a clergyman, wrote once in a sermon, all the way to heaven is heaven. 
and as those angels which came from heaven hither bring heaven with them and are in heaven here, so the soul that goes to heaven meets heaven here. The joy of a good soul in this world is the very joy of heaven. Yes, life with God in heaven is different. We know only in part here. It is through a glass darkly that we gaze. We live in expectative hope. In the time to come, though, as another ancestor in our faith put it, the poet Abelard, wish and fulfillment will severed be never, nor the thing prayed for ever come short of the prayer. What now is partial will then be whole. What is imperfectly understood in, of our lives and the lives of everyone living now and who once lived and will live in times to come, when, that, when they are all joined together, when the glass that in this life we could only see through darkly is wiped clean, when we can see face to face, when we know even as we are known and God will be all in all, that, my sisters and brothers, that will be heaven. Alleluia. Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia.